This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got some Timberwolves stuff to get to here in a little bit. Their season ended a couple days ago. Chris Hine, five-timers club, Chris Hine. Um, I already have an addendum, by the way, to that segment coming up here because I told Chris in that segment that his jacket was almost done. It is done now. I got to present him with that jacket soon um, now that the season's over. But we'll talk about the Wolves and uh, and how their season went and what lies ahead for that team. But first, what did I miss? Well, big night uh, of TV viewing of Minnesota sports fandom. I want to get to the Twins here in a minute, but the biggest show in town right now is the Wild, of course. Disappointment on uh, on Tuesday night. They lose 3-1 to Vegas. Wild up one nothing in that game briefly. It was again 0-0 through 1. The Wild get one on a Matt Dumba point shot screen. Um, then right after that, Vegas ties it. They get another one late in the second period. Alex Tuck gets that uh, go-ahead goal. And then Tuck, the former Wild forward, uh, gets another one late, 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 uh, final minute to, uh, to, put, uh, to put that game completely away. But I think the Wild probably can feel, I think both teams probably feel both fortunate and a little disappointed, right? I think Vegas feels good that they were able to get game two after you know losing game one the losing game two would have put them in a huge hole um you know, historically that you know a home team that loses both of its first two games goes on to lose 80 percent of those series um so they have, to, they have to feel good that they at least found something in this game that they got you know got that thing squared up the wild probably feels like they let an opportunity get away because even though i think they maybe I think they played a solid overall road game in both of these playoff games, and they, they kind of stole game one because I think Vegas was the better team in that game. Um, there's an opportunity here. The Wild actually might have played slightly better in this one. They just didn't get as many pucks uh, pucks through or did, didn't get enough pucks through and didn't get the you know the, the huge, huge goalie saves uh, from, from Cam Talbot. He was good again on Tuesday, but uh, you know not the brick wall he was in the one nothing overtime game so here they are 1-1 I think that's basically a fair result um, and, and something both teams can live with but both teams probably lamenting a little bit of some missed chances all that said this is starting to feel a little bit too familiar if you're a wild fan right this is supposed to be a year where things were different where you've got uh, Kirill Kaprizov you've got Kevin Fiala you've got all this balance on your lines you want to think you can score more in the postseason and here we are you know, two games into this postseason, they scored twice, two goals, and they've gotten away with it because, of course, the one of the games was a one nothing win. So, it, it not all hope is lost, but you're gonna have to score more than that. Um, so it's starting to feel a little bit like that Blues series from four years ago, where you know they the pressing, 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 getting some opportunities, um, and feeling like they should be scoring more. The advanced stats saying they should be scoring more. You know, the expected goals in that series. The Wild was ahead uh, in the expected goals, but in the actual goals, they were not. They lost that series 4-1. to one. Um, Tuesday night, they get twice as many of what is considered high-danger chances than Vegas, 14-7 to seven in that category, but they don't score on any of them, and Vegas scores on two of their seven. So, you know, expected goals uh, in the game uh, Tuesday night were about even, right around three. Vegas actually had the edge in expected goals in game one, so... Not saying the Wild should be disappointed necessarily. They should feel somewhat fortunate. I'm just saying this feels a little bit too familiar, and I don't know what the solution is exactly. Maybe this would be some line juggling 
going into Thursday night. Maybe a guy who's played 101 career playoff games. No, Nick Benito was on uh, was on Tuesday show. Uh, he played in his hundredth game Tuesday. Well, there's a guy in the wild roster that has even slightly more postseason experience than that. Zach Parisi has been up in the press box watching. Maybe he, uh, maybe he's the the thing you need. Um, you know, someone with so many career playoff points. I'm just gonna look really quick. He's got. I had this pulled up earlier. 35 goals, 42 assists in 101 career playoff games at 77 career playoff points. Maybe there's some line juggling. Maybe he comes in. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, right now feels a little bit too familiar from what we've known in past years. Let's talk Twins quick, too, because we've covered this subject already. This was the moment of joy, right? These isolated moments of joy that I was talking about on Tuesday's show where you just kind of kind of run with them. Twins look like they're dead. Dead in the water on uh, on in Tuesday's game. They're, they're down four nothing early. Chicago's got Lance Lynn pitching. Um, you know, Twins have to have tried Bailey Ober, the rookie, the six nine rookie. He he you know he pitched okay. I thought his you know I thought his stuff was was okay, but you know he he's going to have to work on fig- figuring out how to finish off hitters. So it's four nothing. Lance Lynn is coasting, but then Miguel Sano turns into the old version of Miguel Sano. Hits one, two, three home runs including the tying home run in the eighth inning. In the meantime, in the interim, Rocco Baldelli gets ejected when Tyler Duffy throws behind Yermin Mercedes. Again, Yermin Mercedes from the controversy the night before of hitting the home run off of the 47-mile-per-hour pitch from uh, williams Ostadio. So the thing I want to say about this quick is if you don't think this was premeditated, obviously you're crazy. You know that Tyler Duffy was throwing behind him. That's obvious, but... This kind of manufactured controversy, this is also premeditated. The Twins are looking for anything to shake themselves up, shake them out of this rut. They were 13-26 and 26 going into the game. Desperate. So they get ejected. Sano hits the home run. They get the whole, all this talk about, are they playing the game the right way? Disrespectful. They got Tony La Russa mad at his own player now, and then they go out and win the game. I'm not saying this goes any further than that, but for a team that was desperate for any kind of spark. Whatever they tried to do in this game seemed like it worked. And uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, for, for all the buttons that Ross, Rocco has pushed this year that haven't been the right ones, this one actually seemed to be the right one. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Joined today on Daily Delivery by Chris Hine. Um, your jacket is very near completion, Chris. I got the patch. I've got the jacket itself, five-timers club. I do worry, though, um, that people are going to catch up to you if there's a 10-timers club. I don't know when the next time you're going to be yeah, on. Yeah, well, I, well, I think, I mean, I think Royce is already, you know. That's true. That's that. Uh, so that's yeah, but that's not really fair because he's like a built-in. He's like every Monday. You're more on like the the path of like you cover a team, so I want to talk to you about the beat you cover. But now the beat's going to go away for a while because I know the season's over. You know, and I'm sure you're really sad about that. But the season's over. <laughs> Next big kind of marker here for them is the lottery drawing, and that's not for another month. And then the draft is not for another month after that. And they might not even be participants based on how the lottery goes, but. That all said, um, they finished the season Sunday with a win over Dallas. 23 and 49 is the final mark, but 16 and 20 in the second half does uh, does give you a little bit of 
a little bit of weight, a uh, little bit of, uh, you know, momentum for them going into the off season. They did a whole slew of availabilities on Monday with their key stakeholders, including Chris Finch, Gerson Rosas, Carl Anthony Towns, a lot of the other key players on the team. Maybe I'll just ask you first off from that, from that availability, what, if anything stood out to you as things we should pay attention to as we think about the off season? Uh, generally, uh, the tone was optimistic, um, but I think business-like headed into the the off season, where I think they know that it, you know next year is going to have a different set of expectations uh, attached to them, especially after how this year went and the first year, uh, or the first half of this year went. So, different expectations. I think one thing that stood out to me was Carl Anthony Towns talked about it a little bit. Ricky Rubio's talked a little bit about it. Gerson Roses did too. Is a little bit of this emphasis on uh, leadership, relationships, kind of holding each other accountable, and but also making sure that this is a good mix of of guys and, and personnel and, and personalities uh, on the floor and, and off the floor. Uh, Towns today had had a quote about you know as as guys develop and come along here, and I you know I think he was referencing Ants and and maybe even like Jaden McDaniel's to a certain extent. You know, it's it's important that, that you know egos don't get in the way. That, that that they work together. That you know he he tries to do everything he can to make sure that everybody's kind of getting along on the same page. Uh, that to me was we hadn't really heard talk like that from him uh, or, or a lot of the guys recently. So I, I think that kind of stood out. This need that as guys come along, making sure that everybody is kind of on the same page because. As a few years ago, we saw what happened when, when guys maybe aren't on the same page. I, I think I remember the quote from Towns. Let, let's play it right now just so everybody has a good understanding of what he was saying. We got we to gotta put our egos to the side at all times. We cannot let that get between us. We can't have that be another story of amazing talents coming together and not making it work. We, we, can't, we can't be a story like that. So um, continue sharing the spotlight with every with each other and, and be more than willing to share even more with each other I think that we got to lean into each other more next year if we want to do what we say we want to do Chris I don't know what you could possibly have been alluding to with a few years ago was it possibly Jimmy Butler uh and then how uh, that all blew up yeah yeah um I'm, I'm having uh these uh chills run down my arm right now as I think back to that season um <laughs> I try to eliminate that feeling from my from my memory, but uh, but every so often it, it comes creeping back, you know. I hear you. I hear you. And you know, Jimmy Butler obviously in the playoffs right now. So is Tom Thibodeau. So um, the jury's still out on exactly how that all fall up, fell apart, or uh, who is right and who is wrong. But the way they went about it probably wasn't the greatest way to go about it in the uh, mm. in the big picture of things. Um, the the stuff from towns talking about leadership and maturity, I think is interesting. And, you know, these guys becoming leaders, I think Anthony Edwards is kind of a, a pretty good leader for how old he is already. I feel like he's got a pretty good sense of how to read the room. I, I feel like he, he was able to fit into a lot of different dynamics this season, at least on the court and still, you know, it felt like he was able to be to, to fit. in. I, I honestly, think the person who has to grow the most in this area and he might not want to hear it is Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I, I think he's, I think he says a lot of the right things. I think his game still has a p propensity to become very immature on the court. 
um, that, that his, his body language, his, his, the way he affects a game negatively when things aren't going right is something he's got to really work on. So I'll be interested to see how he cleans that up and becomes a better on court leader um, as, as the year goes along, but you know, big picture. Um, what, I guess, do you have any thoughts on that before I move on from it? Yeah, I think you're right that if you look at all the current players on the Timberwolves, the one who, when things are going bad for him, either individually or as a team, whose body language stands out is, is Carl. I thought he had, I thought he had done a good job of, of calming down and kind of not arguing with officials as much for the first half of the year, but the second half of the year, it almost like he was back to normal in that, in that regard, I thought. And you could kind of see it, you know, bubbling to the surface a little more than the first half of the year when, um, when I, and, and some of this, he was just in a different headspace um, as yeah, well. Thank for sure. Unfortunately, um, where it just wasn't as important to him or, or he just, he said he didn't want to spend, expend the energy to do that. Um, so I think you're right. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think you're right though. That, you know, Towns is, he's going to be, I think 26 uh, coming up here. So his seventh and, season coming up too. And and seventh season. And, you know, on a young team, he's outside of Rubio and, and, you know, Ed Davis, who's probably going to be moving on uh, after this year. Um, and we'll see who else they bring in, but he's one of the oldest guys on the team. So, you know, leadership, this is, this is it. This is his time to, to, to be a leader. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he and Russell aren't young anymore. I mean, they're mid career. If we're being yeah. honest, I mean, they're, they may be, you know, they, they haven't maybe entered their athlete, their peak athletic prime or what we think about their athletic prime. But when mm-hmm. these guys come into the, into the league, a lot of times now when they're 19, you know, 20, 26 is kind of mid career at this point, at least in terms of your, your career arc. Um, so I think, I don't think, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect some, some more personal growth on that. And um, from a basketball standpoint, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, after D'Angelo Russell came back healthy, they clearly were a better team, right? They're 13, 13 and 11, I think with, with he and towns, both on the floor this year, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So an above 500 team with that, but Anthony Edwards has a big piece of that too, because, you know, even though he played, he played all 72, didn't he? He, he managed to play he did, one, yes, of, he one of the few players in the whole league. I think they probably played all 72, maybe, Jokic is in that group too. He remarkably played, I think all 72, but not a lot of guys played all 72 this year. So his durability and ability to play back to backs, push through it um, is a big, big piece of some of his success, but pecking order wise is kind of what I was getting at here. If we went into the season thinking towns, Russell towns, Russell towns, Russell, this is, this is the two you're building around. Is that get reframed at all based on Edwards, maybe coming along a little bit faster than we thought is, is he now the kind of running mate to towns? Is it a one, two, three? How, how do you think that sorts itself out? Yeah, I would, I would go towns Edwards Russell right now, uh, you know, rising voice question mark at the end of it. Yeah. It kind of feels that way. Doesn't it? Though? It, it, do, it does feel that way. Um, as the way the second half of the year went, um, yeah, and you know we'll see where where Ant picks up in the in, in next season, but I, I do I do think it it's it trended that direction, and some of this has to do with uh, you know D'Angelo didn't have the, a great first half. He didn't play with Towns a lot. Um, and, you know, obviously neither did Ant have a great first half as well. 
coaching change happens, Carl gets healthy. Um, everybody plays better as a result. So it's hard to, it's hard to say for sure. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say, I would say very close in terms of at least how the organization views those three guys. I don't, I don't think the organization, the organization isn't about to, you know, I don't think separate those three. No, um, but that's, but that's where, that's why we is, can, we can have fun it, doing it. Right. But it is, but it, it went from a two man conversation before the, before the season about who you're building around. And it's now a three man conversation because I think Edwards very clearly made that jump this year. That says a lot about his rookie year too. I think, unfortunately, he's probably not going to win rookie of the year. I think it's going to be Ball. I think he came back and did enough at the end that it's probably going to be um, Lamelo Ball. Even though I think it's closer than you know what you see. I'll be I'll be interested to see how many first place votes he gets. I think the fact that that the you know Lamelo and, and the Hornets won a little bit uh, that they made it at least to the play in. Yeah, yeah, that they made it to the play in. I think is going to tip it in his favor ultimately. Yeah, I mean, the betting market sure seem to think LaMelo is the, the massive favorite, but, you know, we'll see. Edwards definitely narrowed the gap when, when Ball was out. Nonetheless, I mean, regardless of how that voting plays out, definitely had a season to, to build around. So the conversation then becomes, I guess, you know, you think you've got those three, at least, you know, they're under contract. You kind of know what they can do when they're healthy. You saw... I think the last lineup of the year was interesting because you saw Jaden McDaniels and um, Jared Vanderbilt in the starting lineup with Mm -hmm. Towns, maybe kind of just wanting to see what, uh, you know, what Jaden McDaniels looks like more as a three than a four um, in that regard. And just, I don't know if he's ever going to be quite big enough to, to be that four, even if he could play a little bit of that. So that naturally leads to my, the, the next topic of a conversation, which is you know, something Gerson Rosas has talked about and tried to address, you know, even at the trade deadline was getting another big to play with towns and, and what that person looks like. And do they have enough in-house to kind of fill that role or where does that fit into their off season priorities from what he said on, on Monday and what he said in the past? I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't think it's coming from in-house. I think that that's, this is, Outside acquisition number one of the of the off season is finding that four. Um, it's going to be tough because I think part of part of the equation is it's defense plus rebounding, which are related. But Gerson has has said uh, multiple times over the last few weeks that it's defense and rebounding. All of that needs help, and so that translates to Carl needs help. That that translates to we need to find somebody. Um, to fill that gap. I, you know, they were interested in Aaron Gordon at the deadline that didn't happen because the magic wanted Jaden McDaniels in a trade. The wolves didn't want to budge. Um, they were interested in John Collins and, you know, now that the off season, uh, well, after, you know, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta season's over and we go to the off season, I think the wolves will still be interested in Mr. Collins and, and just at least monitoring how that situation plays itself out. And, We'll see who else is on the board. Um, I'm really done. A, haven't really done a deep dive into the power forward market this coming off season. I'm sure I will as the weeks go along here. Um, but yeah, that is that is top of the list. Number one with a bullet off season priority, whether it's through uh, the draft potentially or using that pick as an asset, uh, 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 potentially as an asset, or just trying to find a trade or, or a signing out there that that helps. 
if they keep that pick, which is, you know, another piece of the puzzle, they did finish sixth worst in the league, you know, by virtue of winning that last game. I think they would have been in a tie for fourth had they not won that last game against Dallas because Oklahoma City managed to beat yeah, that, the obviously tanking Clippers. Uh, who that last win. that last win cost them about four percent in the four percent one pick. one yeah. in twenty five. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I it's it's <laughs> not not the end of the world. It was, it was kind of it just amused me how the Clippers were so bound and determined to not face the Lakers that they just went out of their way to lose to the Thunder, who did, didn't want to win by by any stretch of the imagination, but. The, the draft stuff will sort itself out. The lottery is about a month from now. We'll see if they keep that pick. They got about a 27, 28% chance of keeping it at this point. Um, it also has a pretty good chance of, if, it, if they don't keep it, pretty good chance it conveys more like seven or eight to Golden State at this point too. So less, uh, less of a hit at, at this point. But you know, asset-wise, that's a huge kind of swing. Um, if, if they don't have that, what... Uh, how do you think they go about solving some of the problems that they do have? Who, you know, I, Malik Beasley was part of the postseason availability today or on on, uh, on Monday, correct? Yes, he was. So, do we still think that that's a piece of their puzzle going forward? I mean, he just you, I just look at him and think that that's the most obvious trade candidate, but obviously he's also something they don't really have, which is a lot of good shooting. It's it's hard to say because yeah, like you said, I, at least to my eyes on paper, he is he is the most he is the most obvious trade candidate I think of of kind of the group that they have because I mean his deal is is reasonable for the kind of production that he's able to give I feel like, but there comes with it off the court concerns we know about his his guilty plea and the sentence he's going to have to serve over the off season here he said it won't affect his training as a as a little side note. Um, but he does have that to complete over the summer. Um, but every time you hear Gerson talk about kind of the future and the core players, the other day in my, in my Sunday story, he mentioned that, you know, to succeed in the NBA, you have to have seven or eight players that you quote unquote, feel really good about kind of like seven or eight core guys. Right. Malik Beasley is one of those guys. Gerson said they're at about five right now in his eyes that they have five of those kind of players. And it's Towns, Russell Edwards. He threw Jaden McDaniels in the mix. And Malik Beasley is that fifth player in his eyes. So they value him very highly. So it's hard for me to see them giving him up in a trade. And, you know, if you look at, if you look, if if you're looking at ways to fill that out, uh, Rubio's on an expiring deal. You know, that's a potential trade dangle contract. You know, do you give up a pick potentially again down the road to, to find that player? If, you, if you're able to grab the ideal one that you want, I don't know. Um, and again, a lot a lot will have to do with what happens uh, on June 22nd as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And we should remember, too, Rosas you know, came from Houston where they had a history of trading away first round picks when they thought they were going to be good, when they thought they were going to be in that window where they were getting better, they absolutely would trade away as many first round picks as they could because they didn't think they, you know, I guess the theory being that the value on those picks, if you're good, is going to be in the high teens to mid twenties. And that's not as much of an asset as it might seem when you're rebuilding. So the way they think about first round picks could be something that, uh, that, 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 that bears monitoring as the off season uh, goes along. 
A mm-hmm. um, couple more things for Chris Hine as we think about the end of the Timberwolves season. Um, we, we heard from Chris Finch on Monday. Does he have kind of a sense of what he thinks their offseason priorities are or what what is, you know, what's improved versus what still needs to, to get better? The defense is, is the main topic of concern. And, you know, he said earlier that they had about maybe two-thirds of what they wanted to do defensively. Um, this team does not go anywhere if it doesn't get better defensively. Over the second half of the season, the offense did get better. The offense was, I think, top 12 or so in efficiency uh, under Finch, um, but the defense was still bottom five. Um, and so that obviously has to get better. So defense is number one. We'll see schematically how he adjusts. I think some of that is going to depend on what happens at the four spot. So it's hard to say right now what exactly those changes are going to look like. He talked about needing to figure out kind of what Towns' best pick and roll coverage was. We saw Towns start playing a lot more on the perimeter bench than he had previously under under uh, Ryan Saunders and, and even, I think, Tom Thibodeau before that. Um, so, you know, how are they going to use Towns in pick and roll situations is a big question. So I think I think it's just, you know, for, for a while it's just going to be kind of working on guys internally, improving their defense, you know, individually, like, like with a guy like Edwards, for instance, and, and helping him work on defense individually. And then as the changes to the roster come into view, then you might be able to come up with more of a scheme. If that's a priority, it's just hard. For, it's even harder for me to imagine Malik Beasley still being here because as, as much as he's a willing defender, he's not a great defender, at least not as a starter. I, I just it's hard for me to imagine D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards as your one, two, three, because that probably pushes Jaden McDaniels to the bench. That probably, you know, makes you small. It, it makes you not not in the great, greatest position to guard anybody, um, especially if you're even even if you're committed to adding defense at the four. Um, so it does make me wonder kind of how they how they see this roster overall. Not, not like you can't have more good players and someone can come off the bench and be good. Um, but it's hard for me to imagine at least Malik Beasley as a starter, uh, given the, the commitment to defense and just the other pieces they have on this roster. So I'll be interested to see how, how that, how that all unfolds. Um, let me, let me end with a kind of a big picture question for you. I I feel like there's a sense, and I brought this up to, to Patrick Royce, I think the other day, there's a sense from some Wolves fans, like the first half didn't count. The second half is the only one that really mattered in this season. And that, hey, 13 and 11 with with Cat and D'Lo, that means this is a 45 win team next year or something like that. Like it, it just 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 automatically just plug and play. And my right. point is, weird things. Ha- this is a weird year. I, I don't think you can just say you know they played a bunch of teams that weren't trying to win. They played some teams that didn't really care that much if they were going to win because they were already in the playoffs. They were going to rest guys. They were going to kind of manipulate the seeding. When it starts over, 0-0 next year is is really going to be the test. And is is this roster really that good? Um, I'm not sure if it is. I think there's still maybe more work to be done on this roster than than Wolves fans might want to believe. I'm with you, especially because, again, the defense was so bad. Um, that's where I that's where I begin and end all my kind of thinking towards next season is that defense. I, I'm with you. I, I feel like you're so starved for a winner here that anytime you see flashes of something, 
you can easily get excited and go off the rails. You see it in the in the Twitter bubble of Wolves fandom all the time. Um, love 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 Wolves Twitter, by the way. Oh, me we, too. It's great. Small, but it, it they it, you tend to get carried away a little bit uh, from time to time. The key is, and I think Ricky Rubio did a good job of of articulating this over the last few days. Is you can look good on a Tuesday night and and come up with a nice win against somebody, but you're going to go out on the tail end of a back-to-back on Wednesday night and do it again. And then you're going to do it again on Friday night. And then on Sunday after that, like that's, that's success in the NBA. Any team can look good on a given night. And this team has looked good on given nights. Right. But then they come out and lay a couple clunkers. Then they look good again. Then they lay a couple more clunkers. And then before you know it, you're below 500 and you're out of the playoffs and you're, and, and you're wondering what went wrong. And it's because you can't do it on a consistent basis. So that is the next step as well, is, is doing all these things that they're talking about, uh, not just doing them once a week, but doing it multiple times a week in the course of a season. So we'll see, we'll see how they handle that. And that, to me, is the definition of a maturing roster and uh, a team that, that's, uh, that's going to have the leadership it needs because you, you need your, your leaders to say, hey, you know, pay attention. This, we can't just... You know, they had so many games where they, you know, how long did it take them to even win two games in a row this year after doing it the, the first the first two games of the year? So good points. We'll see how this all plays out. I'll give you a little break from talking about the Wolves. I probably won't <laughs> bug you at least for a month or so. Take some time off. Chris Hine, thanks for joining me multiple, multiple times on Daily Delivery. And uh, we'll check in with you sometime in June. Always a pleasure, Michael. Really quick, let's finish with the cooler. Not even the Lynx, unfortunately, are immune to the late Minnesota trend of high expectations and slow starts. They fall to 0-2 with a loss to New York. Nafisa Collier hasn't played in either one of those games, so that explains it, but they have not been 0-2 any time during Cheryl Reeves' tenure, first time since 2007 after losing to New York on Tuesday. We'll see if they can turn things around soon. It doesn't get any easier. Seattle is up next for them, so we'll see what Cheryl Reeve has in store for this team, especially once Nafisa Collier is able to play. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. Chip Scoggins on Thursday show to help us set up game three of the wild talk through some other subjects. And I'll also have a bonus podcast coming up Thursday, getting a deeper look at the twins with Lavelle E. Neal and Jim Suhan, a special delivery, if you will. Thanks for listening on Wednesday. We'll catch you again twice as it turns out tomorrow. Tomorrow.